they kind of looked at you strange. It's like, you have to get on, I know Mark has, has experienced this. There was a time you'd get on a plane to fly somewhere and you sit in first class and everybody could swear, what basketball team do you play on? I got I to gotta be a sports guy. I got to be no. playing some baseball team or a basketball team. Well, Just, that's kind of what it was. We were an anomaly. And that's still a thing. And it, was, it could be a very lonely time. I heard more N-word jokes. I heard more nappy-haired black jokes than I probably have ever heard in my life in a corporate environment. And for them, it was okay. Created for the MAPE community by the MAPE community. Left Unset is a podcast where we speak our truth, celebrate our talents, tell our stories, and explore what matters most to us. It's time to leave everything on the table and make sure nothing is left unsaid. Welcome to another episode of Left Unsaid. I'm your host, Carl Desir, and I have the honor, the privilege, and I'm just really excited about the two gentlemen we have on today as guests. I've known each of them for a long time. They've been part of the MAPE community for a minute. They're full of wisdom, humor, advice. They've helped me in my career, and I know this conversation is going to have gems on gems on, on gems. So I hope y'all got your pens, your pencils, your paper, whatever you need to type out, because it's going to be a good one. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. We're going to go in alphabetical order by last name, starting with Mr. Mark Stevenson's Rashawn. Uh, thank you, Carl. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you for having us on today. We're excited about uh, having a conversation. My buddy and I, Mark W., will introduce himself in a moment. My name is Mark Stevenson Strashan. I'm a proud graduate of the MAPE class of 1981, most recently vice president of Diageo North America, and EVP, chief client officer of Publicis. And now I run a very small little coaching business called Coach Mark Consulting, which I am enjoying in this current pandemic lunacy. But uh, very, very happy to be with you today. Thank you. Thank you. And Mark, something I picked up in a, in a boot camp I attended last year, I want to do a, a check-in. It's a, on a scale of red, yellow, green. Red being, you know, you're doing terrible. Green being you're doing amazing. Yellow being somewhere in between those two. If you check in with yourself right now, right now in this moment, how are you feeling on that scale? Um, I would say I'm at a high-end yellow. Okay. Okay. Do you want to share what, what brings you to that high-end yellow? Um, you know, green would be, everything would, would be what we thought was normal. High-end yellow means that, um, again, happy to be alive. My family's healthy. But there are a lot of changes in dynamics in our business that impacts our personal lives. It just kind of makes things a little interesting versus where we were maybe, let's call it six months ago, much less 60 days ago. I'm more reflective, but I'm also more cautious uh, because we really don't know what the end of the tunnel is going to look like. You know, it's just challenging. Yeah. And even with that high end yellow, I'm sensing a little bit of optimism there too. Maybe I'm Oh, oh yeah. There's there's huge optimism because it. it's a time when if you're smart, you can pivot, you could find the right way to pivot and take advantage of some of the market changes, the things that will change moving forward. Oh, there's a lot of innovation and opportunity uh, to grow and to do new things. The question is always going to be when and knowing that there is going to be a lot of people trying to do similar executional dynamics because the world's going to change. The world has changed. I love it. Love the optimism. Mark Williams. Hi, Carl. It's really great to have an opportunity to speak with you and to have a little bit of dialogue with my friend, Mark Strashan. I am Mark Williams, uh, a longtime agency veteran on the creative side, creative director, copywriter, sometimes strategist when the uh, need arises, and uh, somebody that just is genuinely still passionate about advertising, feeling 
cautiously optimistic about what's going on right now. There is undoubtedly a lot of chaos. We're living in very unprecedented times, but out of chaos always arises opportunity. And uh, I feel like I have an I have I feel like I have a chance to to take some of that opportunity and make it into something. So I'm I'm excited. Cool, and that that excitement mixed with the uncertainty. Where does that put you on that red, yellow, green scale? That definitely puts me on the yellow, on the high yellow scale, just like Mark. Um, and again, the reason is because I feel that even with all the changes going on and even with an admittedly high level of anxiety that I think everybody is experiencing, you can see where there are changes that are taking place that maybe had to take place and maybe it took something this drastic to kind of usher those changes in. But now that they're here, we have an opportunity to reinvent ourselves. I might have missed it. Did you call out what Mapier you were? Oh, I'm sorry. I did not. Mapier of 1981. Same year. Same year. That's where we, that's where we met. In fact. Okay. I definitely think you're right. There's, there's so much that to both your points that we thought was normal and and the way to do it that now we're realizing, like I I always go to this, you know, we're all scared to go work. Companies were scared to have people work from home. And all of a sudden now we're working from home. We see that it actually can work. People can't get work done. So there's so many examples of that that are shifting this paradigm. And, you know, before we get into kind of where we are, I want to get to at least a point of where we started. I want to, I want to hear a little bit about MAPE 81. Cause I know from my, from my time at the four A's, we always called the eighties, the lost decade because we just had, if any records, very few. And so Selfishly, I'm curious about what MAPE, the industry, this whole diversity and inclusion, now equity, what that was like back in 81. Mark, do you want to start or do or shall I? How much time do you have, Carl? I know, right? That's <laughs> uh, a big question. Yeah, I, I know. I know. I should have narrowed it down a little bit. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll paraphrase as much as possible. And then again, I would love for Mark to jump in. It was a very interesting time because there was no discussion around diversity and inclusion. That that just was not even a topic. Um, and I think if you remember, MAPE, which is now the Multicultural Advertising Internship Program, was called the Minority Advertising Internship Program. And so there was a, it was more of a, yeah, let's give some brown people, particularly more African-American than just general brown people, an opportunity to see what this business is like. And if you think it is a white male-dominated business today, you should have seen what it was like in 1981. Can't even imagine. Um, so it was dramatically different in that tone and manner. Yeah, it is. A, it was a lost decade, maybe from a record standpoint, because I think the people running the program at the time, with the exception of our executive director, Kate Preston, I think that there was a general consensus that it really wasn't that serious, that big a deal. It was kind of okay. You know, like I said, we're going we're to give us some, some young guys and young gals a chance. The landscape of the industry was dramatically different. Clients uh, and agencies had great partnerships. Agencies were big names. There were still big names in the in, in the business. The holding company model had yet to take full hold, with the exception of IPG. There was a lot more wildcatting going on. We probably caught what we'll call the tail end of the madman era. Lots of cocktail, martini, wine and dine kind of scenarios. The Media comp- media departments have been, hadn't spun off into their own individual profit centers. The agency model was a little different. We still worked on a 15% commission basis, 17.65 for production. Television was king. Print was uh, a prince in waiting. Uh, it was a different, it was, I mean, there wasn't even cable. Cable television wasn't a, wasn't a deal when I started. Wow. Um, it wasn't until a couple of years later on. So it was a It was an interesting landscape. And I remember one of the biggest challenges I had in my MAPE experience of getting off the elevator my first day at what was then Compton Advertising, which molded into Saatchi and Saatchi, and literally the uh, receptionist asking me if I was in the right place, because not only were no people of color on that executive floor, which was because I was placed in account management, but they didn't see many people of color in suits and ties walking in the agency, period. So she was a little bit like, yeah, you might be in the wrong place, young man. And when I mentioned the name of who I was there, she's like, was he expecting you? It was, it, there was no preparation, really, with the exception of my direct report. So it's a different landscape. But nonetheless, I think, like I said, the, 
environment was different. The world was different. God, it was it was so male dominated. Uh, it's crazy. And there was no political correctness and there was no me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that some things have shifted since then. But what when you... Uh, Mark, I'll give, it, I'll give it up to you, Mark. You know, just listening to you talk, it makes me recall how extraordinarily different things were. So our MAPE class, for example, was, it may have been 18 or 20 interns. We didn't have anything near the amount of enrichment programs or activities or things that I think our more recent interns take for granted. I was placed at what was then called Ben and Bowles. I had uh, a woman, and I remember she was my uh, supervisor. Her name was Pam Radke. She was out of Chicago, but she was working in New York, I think, on a temporary basis. Believe it or not, there was actually, um, I can't remember his name now, but there was actually a Black art director there who I managed to strike up a relationship with. But it was it was so very different. Like Mark said, their affirmative action was more of a kind of, I guess, a, a prehistoric precursor to diversity and inclusion. And it was still looked at with a mixture, I think, of curiosity and, um, and disdain, I think. You know, some people felt like they were doing their being corporate good citizens and others just didn't think about it at all. They just thought about it as something they had to do. And, and the agency landscape, very different. It was, first of all, the agency as an entity, the agency industry was very dominant. You know, there were people that were making good money. There was a lot of TV money around and the dominant medium was definitely TV. If you were creative, that's what you aspired to be into, to get into. It was, uh, you know, looking back on it, it's, I'm, I'm a little aghast at how little I knew. In some ways, I think that may have protected me because I didn't, I didn't really have a sense of how difficult it was going to be to get in. So I was like, oh, I'm going to have my shiny new master's degree and I'm just going to walk in and they're just going to give me a job because I'm so great at what I do. That, of course, was not the case. But um, like I said, I think that that kind of naive optimism maybe maybe helped me, you know, at the outset. In listening, You know, you know, Carl, Carl before you go yeah. on, one other thing, we, um, Mark, Mark made a great point. We didn't have the the luxuries and the bennies of today's class. I think we were about 21 people. Most, many of our classes took place in the 4A's conference room and our graduation right. was in the 4A's conference room. Wow. Right. Um, you know, yeah. with a box lunch. <laughs> there was no face <laughs> yep. talent, things that maybe we got our plaque and uh, I don't even know if we took a team photo, group photo. Wow. I don't know um, if we did. So yeah, it was, it was different in that regard. But I will say this, Mark and I, will take credit for being forward thinkers. We founded the pitch contest that created for didn't exist and went on for a long period of time amongst the MAPE graduates. And unfortunately, that seemed to have fallen off by the wayside and then and helped launch and put together the Alumni Association. Uh, because you know, we too were amazed that there was no way for us to be in touch with people who came before us. Yeah, and we're, we're definitely going to get into to some of that stuff. But what was really striking as you both were telling your experience from your MAPE summer and then over the years is two things struck me. One was how much some things have changed, right? You got me too. You got, you know, considering from back when the Mad Men era and before, you know, slightly more diversity amongst the industry, but also how much some things haven't changed. I mean, I remember getting into the industry, yeah. you know, a little over a decade ago and still walking in and people looking at me, like walking by me, as I'm sitting there, right, not thinking that I was the person that was coming to interview, right? right. And yeah. some right. things, you know, haven't come that far in this industry, yeah. which is, you know, yeah. got me a little shook right now. I have been working in this, in this diversity, equity, inclusion space for the last couple of years, thinking we're making a lot of progress. And now hearing the stories like, oh, we got still got a long way to go in some respects, long yeah. way to go. Um, I mean, you both touched on it, how far... MAPE has gone. And I think I would love to talk to you a little bit about kind of the place MAPE is in right now, because, you know, as you said, your graduation was at, you know, the 4A's conference room with a box lunch. Last year, the face of talent was in this amazing space. You know, there is a face of talent. There's, you know, what, four or five, 600 people, I think more, maybe 800 people showing up at the event to celebrate 
uh, the MAPE graduates. Then we come to this year. We're in the middle of a pandemic and we can't do MAPE like it, like we know it and like it's grown to be. Um, you all are, I'm sure, uh, aware of the, the pivot the forays foundation has had to make with the virtual engagement program. Since a lot of agencies have canceled their internship programs, no one's traveling, no one's in their office. Yep. Considering you've been here from the box lunch in the forays office to the 800 person, you know, luncheon, you know, and celebration. I'd really just love to get your thoughts on the, on kind of what your thoughts are on the, the pivot the forays had to make, how the fellows can make the most of it in this year, and, and really maybe even what agencies can do as well. So I feel like the, the fact that MAPE exists in the form that it is now is a testament to the commitment of the forays and a testament to the strength of the idea of MAPE. It may have started off very modestly, but through the kind of care and commitment and passion of a lot of people, it's grown into something that was kind of a nice to have corporate do-gooding kind of thing that wasn't taken very seriously to being a true institution and an instrument of diversity um, that is probably, you know, the envy of a lot of other similar types of programs. I think that I think that the fact that MAPE as a virtual engagement is still taking place is, again, a testament to the commitment of those people that I know, like Rima and Jackie and, uh, you know, all the rest of the guys at the 4As to really say, okay, we've been kind of tossed this lemon. How are we going to make lemonade out of it? And the fact that they have done so is, I think, extraordinary. I think it's, I think it's really quite amazing. And you're right. This MAPE class will not be like any other MAPE class that preceded it and maybe like not like any other MAPE class that follows it. But I think that for that reason, it's very important for us to document every bit of the experience that they have because they are, in fact, a historic MAPE class. And I think that what experience they have will, will you know, say a lot to future MAPE uh, participants about what's possible even in the face of adversity. I got chills after that yeah. historic MAPE class. That was, I don't even know. I'm going to, I'm going to let Mark Strashan take that. Cause I can't even. Well, that, that's, that's the, that's that great writer in Mark Williams. <laughs> um, you know, we're both raconteurs, but that man, that man can tell a story. That man can write. Um, and, and he's so, he's so spot on because it is a historic moment for everything. And there's smack dab in the middle of it. And I, I get great pride and pleasure of the fact that the 4As and the foundation is continuing to uh, have a MAPE class and launch this, this opportunity, whether it's virtual uh, or otherwise in 2020. But uh, they will have a different experience. Uh, you talk about growth and development of the program overall. Uh, again, you know, I think from 81, if I can remember right on through, and I'm going to probably say visually, if my memory is correct, maybe 86, 87, it was still a minority, uh, um, a majority African-American program. It was. You know, 85, maybe 90, maybe 95% of, of, of the people in the cohort were African-American. It's now a beautiful hodgepodge of people of, of what we call multicultural ethnic backgrounds. And, um, and that is a true testament to the growth, development, expansion, and importance of it. Because you know what? In general, this is still a very clubby industry. You know, very few, there are a few, but there are very few undergraduate programs that have specific curriculums designed around advertising, you know, maybe more so marketing now, maybe with a, you know, a focus on brand, but still very, very few have a focus on advertising as an industry, as a career. And most people don't truly understand the breadth and depth of all the career opportunities from in front of the camera to behind the camera. And, and I think that the fact that we now have a more Robust. I mean, you go from 21 to 
240 participants. Ooh, I think they're at three, 350 this year. Reflect, what was that? They're at 350 this year. 350. And that reflect a whole boatload of, you know, cultural backgrounds, not only born here, but born other places, you know, engaging in various aspects of the business is, is exciting. But it's still a very clubby, old school, old world dominant business. And even when you want to make change, it's hard to it's hard to bring that change to bear because I could put responsibility and point a finger at, let's say, company X that puts soda pop on the shelf. And I could say, I'm not going to drink your soda pop if you don't do more, you know, politically correct things, uh, hire more women, be more diverse, be more culturally or environmentally sensitive. Advertising agencies and companies, nobody, you know, the average consumer has no clue who who Omnicom is and what it does and publicists, who the hell is that? And BBDO, what is what is that? And who is low? What is, you know, nobody has a real clue of understanding. So as a result, it becomes very difficult to change that clubbiness attitude that the industry has had for so long. And I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic of the safe space and the relationship build of this class, because they won't get to see Mark Fishon, Mark Williams, and all of our colleagues and cohorts in person to get that warm feel that, wow, there are people who have survived, there are people I could talk to, uh, develop personal relationships, go to lunch, have a coffee, or what have you. I think that is one downside of this scenario. Yeah, yeah. there's no they're doubt. definitely missing out on, you know, the Mark Shashan, Mark Williams show in person. And if I try to find the silver line in this, there will be an opportunity for Maple Lum who maybe aren't in a city where the fellows are to actually get involved now. Right. Nice. And right. that opens the door up to how we look at how we engage Maple Lum in 2021 and beyond mm -hmm. where we do have in-person, but also more virtual stuff where we can get maple alum who live overseas and in different cities to engage with, with, with the fellows. Um, but you're absolutely right. I have one, um, I got one correction from uh, our fact checkers on the line. There are actually 386 fellows this year, not 350, like I said before. So again, talk about historic. That's the most fellows the, the program has had to date. So it's just historic all around. And speaking of pieces of history, um, talking about alumni getting involved, I, I want to hear more about the founding of the MAPE Alumni Association. Why was it needed? What did it take? Well, all that good you stuff. Know, um, I, I, our class, our class was fun. I mean, we had, we had a lot of good connectivity and then there's, there's another woman named uh, Leslie Harris who was a creator, she was an art director who went on to uh, Hollywood and, and work in films and do a couple of films. And we were, we, were, we were highly engaged with each other and enjoyed spending time with each other. And, and again, that's how Mark and I became really, really close because we didn't know each other prior to that. Came from two separate backgrounds and so on and so forth. No, we didn't. It was our glue. And that was a fun summer, but we knew towards the end of it there was, how are we going to stay connected? I mean, there was no internet back then. There was no GPS. There was no, you know, you didn't have a cell no phones. Smartphones. <laughs> there was yeah, not, barely know, computers. Exist. You were lucky. Yeah, you were lucky if somebody, had one, there might have been one, one computer in an entire office floor. How did you all survive? Oh, man, dude. Good old Ma Bell and a, and a lot of, uh, you know, personal handwriting. The old things called handwritten notes. And what, that what, what are those? But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we enjoyed each other's company. And so it was like, how are we going to stay, stay close? And that was the, the gem of, of establishing alumni associations. But it was also, you know, there were people who came behind us, dude, we didn't know. And the four A's didn't have any documentation for us to connect with them and, you know, so on and so forth. So we had to, we had to make that kind of stuff up as we wanted to go along and, being the bright, visionary, innovative thinkers that we are. Of course. You know, the great leaders that <laughs> we are. You know, uh, it was, it was uh, wow, uh, wouldn't it be uh, great? 
you know, to do an alumni association, just like it was the pitch, the pitch process. We're in a business and, and we should be pitching. We're in a business where people should be connecting. And again, it was, you know, Carl, when I when I first showed up, like I said, there was a woman named Dalia Romero who was in, in traffic, which is now project management, who pulled me aside. She was Hispanic and served as my godmother through those 10, 12 weeks. But, dude, there was nobody for me to go to. Dude. Mm. Nobody at that agency no. for me to go to for help, to talk to. And most of my white count, I, I can't even call them counterparts or colleagues because I was an intern. They didn't want to talk to you. We didn't share the same lives. They kind of looked at you strange. It's like you have to get on. I know Mark has, has experienced this. There was a time you'd get on a plane to fly somewhere and you sit in first class and everybody could swear what basketball team do you play on? Couldn't be that right. I was there for a, a That was the immediate assumption. I got I to gotta be a sports guy. I got to be no. playing some baseball team or a basketball team. It's well, just, that's kind of what it was. We were an anomaly. And that's still a thing. And it, was, it could be a very lonely time. I heard more N-word jokes. I heard more nappy hair black jokes than I probably have ever heard in my life in a corporate environment. And for them, it was okay. And if there was a question about, hey, man, what kind of food do black people really like? Of course, that was a question directed at me towards the entire black population on the planet. It was a weird time, man. It was, it was very uncomfortable. It was a weird so time. We, yeah, we yeah. knew that this association was also going to be a way for us to connect and stay connected um, and hopefully protect each other. I will say this, um, just listening to what Mark says, and he's not exaggerating in terms of just the overall weirdness of it. Um, I had a little bit of it because I went to Syracuse and Syracuse is obviously predominantly white school. Um, I had a little bit of exposure to that. But when I came into the advertising business, it was, I was definitely a part of a very tiny minority. And to Mark's point, you know, if I was looking for, if, if I had been looking for black mentors, right, for a man or woman, they simply didn't exist. And, um, you know, so what I had to do was to find those people that, you know, would be mentors for me, regardless of background or ethnicity or any of those other unimportant things and form relationships with them. And that, I think, was a large part of what helped me kind of maneuver my way through the early part of my career until I kind of got my footing. But but and it's funny because, you know, you think about, oh, well, it was, you know, the 1980s, but the 1980s were frankly not that far removed from, you know, people getting, you know, hounded by dogs and fire hose in the South some 26 years earlier. I mean, Brown versus the Board of Education was 19, the law that, that outlawed segregation was 1954. So, you know, fast forward to 1980, that's only 26 years later. So the kinds of attitudes and the kinds of, um, you know, thoughts that people had about black people and about black people's place in corporate America or anywhere else still really hadn't changed very much because not enough time had passed. And I think that, you yeah. know, we kind of experienced that in real time. Yeah. Question. We saw if, if I was to see people of color that looked like me, most of them at that time were in the, what I call maybe the second wave of the, multicultural agency fringe but most yeah. of my early mentors with the exception of a couple that picked me up at nwa a couple of white guys that said okay well maybe i can provide some wisdom to this young brown boy um happened to be african-american men who were on the client side because the client side was a little more uh forward thinking in their EEOC and equal opportunity and to Mark's point, affirmative action programs. They had people that are, were in some of the training programs because again, they had more to lose maybe, but I, but there was the Virgis Colberts, the uh, uh, Frank Mingos of the world, uh, um, Darwin Davis, who was over at the equitable uh, Tom Shropshire was at Philip Morris. I mean, there were guys like that, that were around that if you could get to them, George Lewis, who was you know a CFO at Philip Morris, it was if you could connect with those guys, they could they could be really good mentors, and they could. But there were so many people trying to connect to yeah. them because you know there were only a few, and there was right. you know, us. 
But it was it was hard, Carl. It, there were there were many lonely days. I got to tell you, there were many lonely days, and there were times when, you know, you were afraid. I, I'll speak to myself. There were times when I knew I might have had the right answer, but was afraid to maybe maybe raise my hand and pull the line and stop the discussion because I didn't want to seem like I was the odd man out when all the big white guys were saying, we should go right. And I'm sitting there going, eh, right is going off a cliff, dude. We, we need to go left. <laughs> but I was afraid to raise my hand because of, you know, who am I to challenge the system? I'm the only black guy here. I need to mind my place. I need to be careful. It, it, it could be very, very lonely. It took me a long time to get those mental shackles off of me and find my inner Mark Strishan and be my self-confidence well, I didn't have a problem with that, but that took a lot of coaching and executive training and also experience. But it was some lonely days, and even more so why Mark and I and, and a few others stayed close together. I mean, I would, I, you know, I go back to what I said, like some things have changed and some things have not. I think that loneliness mm-hmm. is still much a factor for folks in the industry where they're that one black, brown, diverse person in the room and they see everyone right. going off that cliff and they, right. how, how, how did you... How did both of you get to that point where you were like, no, I got to say this because I know it's the right thing? I mean, I, I'm not going to speak for Mark. I think for me, it was an iterative process. Um, you know, as a creative person, I think the one thing that you get taught over and over again is you have to take risks. You have to take risks. You have to be willing to stand out there by yourself. And so, um, you know, as as part of growing up, in that kind of creative subculture, I think I just started kind of adopting that way of thinking. And, and also I, I didn't really lack for confidence. You know, I felt that, you know, when I, when I finally kind of discovered advertising and and figured out that I wanted to be a copywriter, I was very confident that I knew how to do it and I was going to be good at it. And I think that gave me a lot of fuel to, be comfortable being the only black person in the room, frequently the only black copywriter in the room, later the only black creative director in a room full of white people. And it just didn't, it didn't phase me after a while. Cause I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think I didn't belong there. That's a good point. You know, for, for me, Carl, it was, you know, I came from a, from a cultural background, Bahamian by, by cultural background. You don't make waves. Don't, you know, just go along. Like my mom was like, you know, do what you got to do to, your job and it took me a while to get confident in my own experiences and capabilities and at some point in time again i had a, I had a pretty good mentor a guy named uh, uh dave marks and, and at some point in time you know we had a great conversation but i realized these guys and gals they got up put their leg put their clothes on one leg at a time just like me brushed their teeth just like me many of them were not fucking smart as me Many of them were actually right. less capable than I was, and but but for some, you know, better opportunities, better portals being opened, somebody leaning on, you know, opening a door, opening a window, they might not have been there. Some of them didn't deserve to be there. So when those mm-hmm. things started to click in, and I started to have some success, even though the opportunities weren't coming as fast and forward for me, my self confidence gained. And uh, again, through some really good coaching, I got to a point where I was like, you know what, I'm not going to I'm not going to do this me against them dance. It's going to be my capabilities against their capabilities. But the other thing, I had a great, great, great coach one time who told me, follow the money. And what helped good me. Advice. Become, yeah. What helped me become even more self-confident and independent was when I started finding ways to make the agency money, make my clients money, make my my boss look good, drive revenue, save money, new innovations that I would bring. That's when people began to say, hmm. And I started seeing some doors open a little bit that I could kind of squeak through. But once I got beyond trying to say, boy, it'd be nice if you gave me my my, mm. my merit. No, you got to take that stuff. Take part of taking it was yeah. I, had to be, I had to find ways to uh, to fit in. Because you know what? You'd go on these road trips or you'd go on these uh, uh, you know, agency, one day, off sites, what have you, and like everybody would go play golf, go play poker, and they wouldn't invite you. 
You'd be left at the bar. You'd be left and you'd be like, whoa, where'd everybody go? Because if if you didn't have a way to engage and most of it is became transactional because I didn't have, I didn't go to Dartmouth, Harvard, what have you. I didn't live in the gated community in Darien. Uh, you know, my parents didn't go to da 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 So there weren't those kind of connections. So I had to find the other ways. And part of it was, yeah, this kid's pretty good. This kid's pretty good at what he does. Um, and then, you know, find a way to, and that comes from our natural hustle. You know, I came mm-hmm. from Bushwick, Brooklyn, so I had a natural hustle. <laughs> and once I found out a way to try to hustle my way through some of this um, and, and bring my cultural empathy to it, then, you know, that's when I started to get really, really comfortable. But even with that, there, were, there was envy. There were people who put up roadblocks. I mean, there were, I can't tell you how many promotions I got passed over for mm. and how many opportunities I didn't get. Um, and, and if you just want to sit here, and it's not sour grapes. I'm, I'm way beyond that. But I would say 50% of it was racial. Absolutely. Without question, I'm not going to sit here and try to candy coat it. Um, but that was the reality. And it has that much changed? Well, be quite honestly, no. But, um, but it is what we do. But does that mean you don't you know, progress and move on? We now own people of color around the world own the goddamn culture. We drive the culture. And as that began to shift and change, it, it started to show ways that we could impact the world of advertising, which yeah. Mark Williams would attest to is not as far, is not as forward thinking and as advanced as it claims to be. Advertising is a very conservative industry. Mm, it is. Hot take. It is. Yeah. No, you, I mean, like I said, I hope y'all got your pens and, well, your laptop keyboards and your iPads and what have you, because dropping gems. I love the fact that you were talking about where you had that switch from trying to compare to being like, I'm just going to focus on my capabilities and do my best and find the ways I can add value, forget about the rest. And that really helped you move forward. There was so much, so much in there. Um, I think this is also good, you know, just hearing the stories about how, you know, it was so hard to find folks to, connect with folks that look like you to connect with to reach out to i mean the alumni association has to be upwards of 4000 individuals at this point if you go all the way back to mapes founding and with this class probably push it over that limit you know i, I do it often on the podcast but i just alumni if you're out there get involved figure out a way this is this is now the time you know, it's a virtual engagement program. Get out there, get involved, reach out to the 4A's foundation team and figure out what you can do to support the program. Because here you have Mark S and Mark W, classes of 1981. What actually, what kept you both involved this long? Because I, I mean, I've been to every single face of talent. And if not seen both of you, seen at least one of you at each one of those events. And it only goes so back have, 11, 10, 11, 10 years, I think. So I have one word for you. I have one word for you, Carl. Yeah. And that word is love. Mm-hmm. Um, I passionately believe in what MAPE is doing. And I feel like I owe it to the organization because MAPE really gave me an opportunity that I would not have had otherwise. Like I'm here. I, so here I am, I'm, you know, between my spring semester and my last semester of grad school, trying to get an advertising, trying to figure out how I'm going to do it. And somebody tells me about this MAPE program. And it was like, it was like gold. It was like, wow, this is great. Now I have a, now I can actually say, I have experience in an agency environment and that should help me along the way. And it has. And I think that at every step along the way, um, that badge of being a MAPE alumni has had value. And I think that um, for every succeeding class, it has value yet again. And I think that it's really important. And you know, a lot of the times we talk about community and I think that sometimes that community is, overused or misused sometimes a bit, but the MAPE community is a real community that stretches across years and stretches across disciplines and wherever people go. If you are a MAPE alumni, that means something. And I think that I've stayed involved because for as long as I can, I want to continue to contribute to it in whatever way I can. Mm. So well said, Mark. 
Seriously. Passion, Carl. Passion and love uh, for the business. I don't, I, I, I'm pretty sure I don't matriculate into the industry without me. And, um, and then, you know, we, we, I, like many people, we have a sense of responsibility to, uh, you know, share our knowledge and our experience and give back to those that came behind us. And it's, it's fun now being two of the OGs, you know, who can, can have that conversation with people and have seen it from different ends. Uh, we both had the pleasure of having unbelievable time and wisdom with, you know, the great Sheldon Levy, uh, who was in that first class. That's, that's what MAPE was, man. That's what MAPE is. It's, it's yeah. that connection, that glue, that community, you know, and, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's just special, man. It's just really special. And it gives, I know it gives Mark, the same pleasure I do when we walk into those rooms and see that six, 700 people in there and three, 400 graduates and they're all proud and laughing and talking, et cetera. It's a wonderful thing. And you are, you are a big part of that, Carl. And, you know, during your time at the forays, you and Tiffany and Rhonda, people who put in the tenure, put in the work to take it to the next level behind the scenes. That, that's, that same, that passion and love is what, is what keeps us going. I, you know, I can, I can feel the love from both of you. And I also know that feeling because even though I didn't have the opportunity to go through me to your having run the program and been at the forays and just seeing people come through and seeing alumni give back, the love is there. The passion is there and it's real and it's strong. And that's why, you know, a pandemic can't stop me. Pandemic doesn't stop love. So this is, maybe going to be here for a while. Right, as long as people love mate, can't stop, won't stop. So since actually, you know, I, it's I want to still feel a little hot after all that, all that love, <laughs> all that passion. Um, I want to actually just switch a little bit and actually just talk about the times we're in today. I right? can't can't have a podcast these days without really touching on what we're going through today. You you both have talked this whole whole time about how. And we've seen what you've gone through, right? The ups, the downs, the different, I mean, starting in 81, you've been through a few recessions yourself, the ups and downs of not just the industry, um, but society. Um, And when you're dealing with this now, right, what, what about this is different than what you've been through before? And how do you think things are going to shift? Things should shift and things will shift coming out of it. So I think that what's different is that the pandemic is going to fundamentally transform everything about every business. Businesses in general, advertising as much, if not more so than any other. And the reason for that is because people are now saying, you know what? Maybe we don't have to have everybody come into the office every day. Maybe that's not necessary. And advertising agencies, and it's funny, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, who are experiencing tremendous downward pressure on profits because of thinning margins, because of the uh, decline of the agency or record relationship, um, because of the rise of in-house agencies. So advertising agencies and the advertising industry is undergoing tremendous change people thought digital was you know the big thing that was kind of like <laughs> disrupting agencies well digital was just the start of it and so what's happening now i think is that advertising is going to be forced to adapt in a way that they haven't before and i and and once they adapt because they're thinking too hey wait a minute maybe we don't have to lease this expensive office space Maybe we don't have to heat it mm-hmm. and air condition it and do all those things because they're, you know, they're looking to make a buck any way they can, just like most other businesses. And so, you know, allowing for the fact that there are times when you want to be in the same room with your colleagues and have that energy of being in the same room, I don't know that that's going to continue to be the norm. I think that may actually start to be the exception. And I think we'll see a fundamentally different way of doing business. Yeah, I think all the smart companies, regardless of their agencies, are rethinking 
what their space is for, mm-hmm. right? How do we best utilize this space? Because this is definitely going to show folks that you don't need, like you said, these large, expensive spaces to show off to your client right. that you made it. You can right. do it. Right. You know, you're just fancy. You're fancy. <laughs> hey, listen, you, you are, there was a time when if you didn't have an office, you weren't taken seriously. And if you didn't have an office with a serious address, mm-hmm. clients looked at you, you know, Madison specifically. Um, now you got 10,000 square feet. You can chop that down to 2,000. You could have Mark and his team come in on Tuesday, Monday and Wednesday. Carl and his team come on on Tuesday and Thursday. Nobody has to show up on Friday. Right. And that 8,000 square feet that you had, drop that to the bottom line or reinvest that somewhere else in talent. Or some, you don't have to travel as much. You know, there's a lot of things. You think about what technology has done. You talk about where we are today. I still remember and I was trained on how to set type. I was trained on proofs and progs. I knew how to, I knew what a gutter is. I knew what an agate is. I knew what a pica is. I knew you're, how to you're set speaking galley. German to me right now. Dude, you don't have to do that anymore. Right. I, I went to typesetting house. I went to engraving houses. I used to actually go to studios and watch a piece of music being conducted by an entire orchestra. That actually sounds seconds. fun. I mean, you don't do that anymore. So here we got computers now. And now you go on to digital. I mean, remember, there used to be this thing called film. Remember, there was this company called Kodak. Don't know what you're talking about. Dude, you don't, you know, so <laughs> now, we're at, yeah, now we're at a place where I think the, the big dynamic, Mark hit on it, is we're social animals and a social mm-hmm. business. And that part of our business is going to be dramatically impacted because of the new financial realizations that people say, maybe we don't have to be all together mm-hmm. all the time. Um, and so there's, there's going to be some challenges there. Uh, I remember when, if you were, if you said to someone, and this is even just three, four years ago, I'm going to work remotely tomorrow. They kind of, they kind of gave you the stink eye. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, they gave it like, what do, what do you mean? Yeah, you they did. Remotely? Yeah. What does that mean? And, uh, you know, your boss right. might call you 10 and people, and people really you frowned on that. They frowned on that. Yeah. You know, you weren't really working. So, you know, all that has changed. It's new. It's um, content. You know, content is now going to, you know, a driving factor. Um, do I need big time media agencies to buy? Mark talked about it. Five, six years ago, I did a presentation at the ANA. And part of it was on the you know, the future of the in-house agency. And I damn near got laughed out of the building. Wow. And here we are. Probably in the next 10 years, in-house agencies might make up 25, 30, maybe 40 percent of the business, if not more. Mm-hmm. You know, Carl, there was a time when and I said it earlier, I remember getting my first call from John. I think his name was John Holloway. And he was a media sales rep for USA Media, a cable company. And we were looking at him sideways because it was like it's ABC, NBC and CBS. And maybe you had channel, you know, PBS channel 13. If you look, what the hell is this cable shit? What people are going to pay for television? Are you out of your mind? Well, boom. Now here we are. If you told me that somebody was going to pay $4 for a cup of Joe called Starbucks and have a coffee experience, people looked at you like, you got to be out of your mind. Coffee costs 50 cents. 50 cents. (laughs) Cents. Who's gonna pay four dollars for a cup of coffee? What are you crazy? So yeah, it's it. constant change and constant, you know, sway. Clients don't necessarily have to come into the office as much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. And by the way, there's a lot of downward pressure on their budgets too. So agents, you know, they're gonna be, you know, the client-side companies, especially those that are, you know, half the country away, you know, you're in New York or and you've got a, a client in Minneapolis or, or Ohio, they're going to say, well, let's just do a Zoom. or Let's just do a teleconference. Just share your screen and make the presentation over the Zoom. And you know what? That's going to be the way it's done because they're going to want to cut down on their travel budgets. I mean, we're, I remember going out to a client 
across the country overnight just for an hour meeting, 45 minute meeting, yeah. excuse me. Yeah. And I can't see that happening, especially because my role is also not billable, but I can't see that happening for the, for the client facing folks, you know, the billable folks either. Yeah. I had, I had, I had colleagues at Digitas that worked on Samsung. They would literally go to South Korea for a day mm-hmm. and then come back the next day. Yep. That's what they did. Wow. Yep. Yeah. That's, a, That's crazy. a lot of, it's a lot of flying in 24 hours. A long flight. Do we need to do, um, you know, do we need to do a 25, 30 person shoot anymore? I don't know. Doesn't seem like it. You know, it seems like, it seems like there's, there's not going to be anything that isn't going to be under scrutiny. Everything mm. is going to be reexamined. Great point. Great point. Yeah. Wow. So Great given point. given all the changes, given the amount of scrutiny both the clients and the agencies are going to be under, what do you what do you tell what do you tell the young alum, the seasoned alum, the fellows of 2020, Boy. especially the fellows of 2020 coming in to this job market at a time gonna, like this? You're gonna make me jump on my soapbox, aren't you? I mean, how how tall is it? <laughs> Well, well, it seems to be it seems to be always at my side. I'll just say that. <laughs> so, um, so the word of the day for twenty twenty graduates. Write it down. Adaptability. Adaptability. So you know this. You know, in some ways, it's it. it let, let's face it. This this economy and and the recession that is sure to follow is going to be a very sobering experience for a generation of people that has grown up with a lot of advantages and a lot of stuff being given to them. And now it's going to be a scrap. And now it's going to be a fight. And now they're going to have to temper their expectations in a way that the everybody gets surprised generation is just not used to, and they're going to have to get used to it. And, you know, this is, this is where you see that, you know, the whole idea of everybody gets a trophy has done, I told you I was going to get on my soapbox. You're on it. Has, has done far more damage than it's done good because the reality of the system that we live in is that it is competitive and yes, there are winners, and yes, there are losers. And the winners tend to be those that are adaptable and know that they have to work to get what they want and that it's not going to be given to them. Okay, I'm jumping on my soapbox now. Okay. The word of the day, I adaptability. Them, uh, somewhat of the same thing. The, uh, the, the, the weak exists so the strong could eat. And so if you are not strong, if you are not, to Mark's point, adaptable, versatile, uh, you could find yourself on the short end of the stick. Um, I have done everything from the record business to the movie business. Uh, I've always felt that I was somewhat creative, although I was not an account guy. Uh, dabbled in finance. I've, I spent a good portion of my career on the client side, which I saw a whole nother scenario. And when I was over there, you know, advertising uh, for me and my colleagues was maybe 5% of our day. You know, agencies thought it was the most wow. important thing for us. That shit might have been five, ten percent of our day. At most. Um, at most. And um, so, being versatile, uh, being flexible, to Mark's point, adaptable. Having you don't have to. You know, years ago, if you were a car guy, you were a cigarette gal, you were a you know a health and beauty aid person. You stayed in a vertical, you stayed in a line, you worked in QSR, uh, for those who don't know, quick service restaurants. You know what I mean? Now you got to be able to dance all over the place. Um, And um, clearly, this generation has a a leg up in the fact that they are technology savvy where they learn to adapt to the new formats of technology. I'm pissed off. I get, just as I get up to speed on one, they change on me and I... You know, I got to ask my daughters to help me out, <laughs> you know, with whatever the newfangled thing is that changed from Monday to Friday. But, you know, their genera- this generation can adapt really quick. This generation of Mapers are going to have to truly show themselves as assets and values. 
they're going to have to bring their culture to play more so that might make them a little uncomfortable. Uh, they're going to have to dig down deep and, and, and be willing to adapt and learn and listen. Uh, you know, I was really surprised the other day. Well, I shouldn't have been, but, uh, you know, it was shared to me by a colleague. Someone said they talked to somebody and they were just nine months into their first job and they, they, they were upset that they weren't promoted already. It's like that, 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 that you need to get off of that soapbox. Um, and maybe they need to get a little hungrier and learn to learn to hustle a little more, you know, the old school hustle mentality, because the days of wine and roses are over and it is going to get dicey uh, and they're going to have mm-hmm. to really, really roll up their sleeves and get dirty. Wonderfully dirty. And Carl, I guess, very Carl, I guess I would say something else too. And this is a piece of advice I gave somebody just the other day. Um, you really have to, you know, when, and my Sunday worship and Bible reading and stuff like that, the Bible talks about widening out. And I think that that's a really good philosophy to adapt. And I think that for many, um, sometimes I won't say for many, but for, but sometimes for young African-Americans, they feel as if, you know, if they are going out for drinks with their you know, white colleagues or hanging out with them otherwise or going out to lunch or doing something social with them that they're somehow not being authentic. Mm. We live in a world that has to include everybody. And, you know, you can, you can kind of live within that narrow lane of, of I'm only going to have a black mentor. I'm only going to hang out with black people in this business. I'm only going to, I'm going to be pro-black, 100% black, all the way black. Okay, you can do that. That's a choice. It's not a great choice. It's not really this business. So if you want to, you know, really see how the business works and see it from a number of different perspectives, then hang out with a number of different people. And don't act like you're somehow being not true to yourself by doing that. Okay. Words of- not the code switch as much. Tell them to stop the code switching BS. Right. Right. Be... You you could be more authentic today than you have. You have to be professional, but you can still be who you are. You can still be who you don't have to give up your cultural identities and no. your cultural badges and signs, etc. You know, but you, you do have to be professional. Above all, I think all that's else. a that's a point that people have to you know should bring with them. Love the perspective, being authentic, being professional. Where does that line? How do you how do you, how do you create your own line of your own authenticity with still being, you know, professional in the workplace? It's the a question a, you have to ask yourself: Is what is your what is your own line? Yeah. What are you comfortable with? You know, and it really depends on you know what your what your kind of um, formative factors were. Like I said, for me, you know, you go to a school like Syracuse is like, you know, 80% white or whatever. You start, you know, meeting a bunch of different people and hanging out with them, in some cases making friends with them, so that when you go into the workforce, it doesn't feel alien. It feels like everything you've already experienced. So for me, it was like, yes, I'm black. Clearly, I'm black. And clearly, I, you know, do not run away from that. By the same token, I I feel like I can, you know, there there's all kinds of music I like. There's all kinds of people I like. There's all kinds of food I eat. That's my comfort level. May not be yours. Mm-hmm. You have to do what's comfortable for you. But above all else, you still got to be productive. You have to understand that you're going to be measured by what value you bring to the organization. You have to understand that nobody is going to hand anything to you. It's not, again, it's not capitalism. Capitalism is competitive. So you have to be competitive also. The value add, I think, is an important, important phrase there, right? Because just doing your job typically isn't enough. Typically, it's yeah. not. Yeah. I mean, when, as an account guy, when I first started and I showed up and I had a very nice suit, um, and it was, you know, it was just a very nice suit, um, but it was, a, you know, a regular suit. And I remember my boss saying to me, um, go down and see Bob in, you know, procurement or wherever it was. And Bob was our guy that has a relationship at Brooks Brothers and FR Tripler and Paul Stewart, and he'll get you hooked up. And I had to wear what was then the Madison Avenue uniform. 
Mm. You know, I had to look a certain way, dress a certain way, carry a certain briefcase, wear a certain kind of shoes, wear a certain kind of tie. And quite honestly, it made me feel more preppy than I actually was authentically. But I had to I had to play that game. Well, you don't have to play that game, per se, anymore. You've got to show up at the office professionally dressed and ready to do business. I'm, I'm not a proponent of people showing up looking like bums. I think you know how I roll. Yeah, but you got not. people who show up looking like bums. I'm like, dude, you, you, that, that's not, that's not how you go to the office. You know, flip flops are not office attire. <laughs> but when you get there, no. be professional. If you're in a banking business, you should be reading Forbes and the Financial Times and the New York Times finance section, etc., etc., etc. Don't sit there and tell me, oh, I'm, I, that's not me. That, that's, that's ridiculous. You know, um, Mark and I, we were taught, like I read the New York Times advertising section, Phil Darrow's column every day before I got to the office. Yeah. You read that thing. uh, And if you if you hadn't, you felt that you were at risk because if somebody engaged you about conversations about the industry, you didn't know. We read ad week cover to cover. We went brand week. Hmm. We went to industry events. That's what I mean about being professional. And showing mm-hmm. up and being engaged. If you're a maper, get engaged in mape. You should also go to the forays conferences. You should go to A and A conferences. You should go to yeah. ad color conferences. You should do yeah. all those kinds of things that afford you to get engaged in the industry. How many people go to see their go? I mean, forget pandemic, pre-pandemic. How many people actually ask to go to their clients? office and work in the plant or walk the plant and understand what their business is. If your client is in the auto production business, you had best go out to their plant and spend three, four days understanding what Corinthian leather means to a steering wheel and how that's applied by someone with their, you know, handcrafted, you know, craftsmanship on the, on the assembly line. I believe they call those ethnographies. And they cost about $30,000 oh, $30, a pop. Miller Brewing Company was a client of mine for once. I spent a week at the plant with a hairnet on and one of them what, shoveling hops and, and wheat, barley. Stink, like that stuff stinks like here tomorrow. Uh, I had to spend five days on a delivery truck, lifting barrels and you know loading up tanks and stuff. Yo, man, that you get a sense of what the business is about. You want to work on McDonald's business? Go work at a McDonald's for a week and see how difficult that shit is to get those fry orders right. And, and you know, when the place is packed at noon and see what an owner-operator goes through, uh, et cetera, et cetera. How many people, you know, we forget about. That's all about being professional, mm-hmm. showing up on time, being, pre- being better prepared than anybody else in the room. Being ready when the meeting starts at 12, damn it, you're there at 1145 ready to go. That's, I mean, you know, I, so let's put the, the cultural lunacy aside and be professional. We are, we are in a business that demands creativity, forward thinking, innovative thought, diversity of thought, attitude. You know, Mark Williams and I can argue from here to Sunday about the benefit of great creatives. I'm not a creative person by trade. He's not an account guy by trade. But damn, if we don't understand what each other does and have a respect for it, right. that's what I mean mm. about being professional. Yeah, those are, those are great points. And I, I'm just, one, thinking a lot about how to take those experiences you had, shoveling the hops and the barley, you know, going walking through the plant into today's world, just knowing how business works today and how we can translate that that form of professionalism into understanding our client's business in a way that nobody else does. And I really want to continue this conversation, but I'm looking at the time. I know y'all are busy people. And I'm sure if we ask the 4A Foundation nicely, we can do this again soon. Bring you back on. Um, Cocktail hour now. It's... (laughs) I'm ready to go. <laughs> so it is. <laughs> so it's five o'clock when you're with Mark Shashan. So I, I really want to thank you both. Um, 
I, I definitely look forward to, you know, seeing you in person again. But until that day comes, uh, engaging yeah. uh, in this way uh, more often, I know that yeah, we're going to definitely do something like this again. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you for your love and passion of MAPE. And yeah, I I just want to say thank you for all you've done to help Shout folks like me and others. Shout out to you, Arima. Shout out to Marla, Simon, and the rest of the team. Just keep it going, man. Don't let it die. We'll yeah. always be here for and, you. And I just want to add that you guys are doing phenomenal work, um, really. Phenomenal work under duress, uh, especially now. And uh, I appreciate you guys more than ever. And it's always an honor and a pleasure to speak to you and Rima and Alex and Jackie and Simon and Marla and all the guys at the 4As. It really is. You can call on me anytime, anytime. Great. Well, thank you both. You're here. This was a, an amazing conversation. I know that it's uh, going to be one for the ages. It is one for the ages. Historic, as we like to say. So thank you both. Don't go anywhere. Um, we'll see well, you'll hear us next time. Thanks. Okay. Take care, Carl. Bye, man. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks.